Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're talking about the Kingdom of God. And this morning, we talked a great deal about cognitive dissonance, which is the conflict that comes in your mind when you try to accept two ideas. Or there's actually further definitions, which I did not go into so much this morning. But uh, cognitive dissonance, according to some, is the mental conflict that occurs when beliefs or assumptions, you know, what you believe to be true are contradicted by new information. The unease or tension that the conflict arouses in people is relieved by one of several defensive maneuvers. Uh, They reject, uh, explain away, or avoid the new information. Uh, we've seen a lot of this in the the last four years of the Trump administration because so many people have been driven to hate Trump, mostly by the media, not by actual facts. And then when you see more facts come up, then they start saying, oh my gosh, uh, I have to avoid those facts. <laughs> so they do. Now, as I've said this morning, and for months and months and probably for years is that Trump is not your salvation, but neither is Biden your salvation. Your salvation is Christ. But it has to be the real Christ, not the fake Christ that is introduced by most of the churches. Most of the churches of the world, and I use that word very specifically, of the world, are not preaching the true Christ. They're preaching something that looks a lot like Christ, but it's not the true Christ. It is a fake Christ that is missing some of the essential elements of Christ's gospel of the kingdom. One, it's missing righteousness. And it's also missing, in many cases, uh, being a doer of the word. What is being a doer of the word? So anyway, this cognitive dissonance, you know, talks about this maneuver to avoid uh, that conflict. uh, then by avoiding the new information, persuading themselves that no conflict really exists, or rec- reconcile the differences, or resort to any other defensive means of preserving stability or order in their own conception of the world, and of course themselves. And uh, this can actually lead to health problems and self uh, you know, abuse and. Uh, suicide and, and and killing people randomly. I mean, it can go to absolute extremes or it can just cause you to vote in a particular way because of the fact that you just can't stand that person or this person, uh, well, no matter who it is on either side. And there, as we talked this morning, there's a great deal of cognitive dissonance on the side of both parties. It is not exclusively the Democrats or uh, different uh, classes uh, or classifications of people in society uh, that it can appear almost anywhere to greater or lesser degrees, but never without causing this conflict in the mind and therefore in the body. And not only will it produce unhealthy individuals, it can also produce unhealthy society. Uh, a society that literally 
fights for its own self-destruction. Unfortunately, for many people, it will also decide to destroy others around it rather than accept the truth or the reality that they are trying to avoid. Now, like I say, both sides do this, which is why, uh, for instance, the conservative side finds it so difficult to connect and to uh, counter the conflicts that are raised on the liberal side or the leftist side. They, uh, you know, I hear them making their arguments and I thought, like, that is just terrible. They're not even addressing the real issue. Or like we saw with Article 2, Section 22 in Oregon, uh, the people saw that this is a way to get rid of those people that are destroying their state and stealing their rights and bankrupting their economy. And yet they could not implement it because of the fact that they could not come to grips with the fact that their own favorite congressman or senator was also in violation of the same Article 2, Section 22. And so they were actually forced into a pathway of inaction. They couldn't do anything about the real problem because they didn't want to do anything about the whole problem. There was a conflict in their mind. And that conflict, of course, actually stems back to religion. You see, once you begin to go down the road in this conflicted state, you know, where you've invented a false Christ in your mind, or somebody else invented the false Christ in your mind, but you accepted it. And uh, then the next thing you know, you're accepting something else that's false. And something else is false. And we talked about that, how in brainwashing in uh, China during the Korean War, they would get people to do rather innocent little things. Just write down some reasons why democracy is bad and some reasons why communism is not so bad and you will get extra rice rations and maybe a candle uh, to uh, see in your dark cell with or, you know, whatever. Some little tiny thing. And the smaller the gift for writing down even on a little tiny piece of paper some some things anti-democracy and pro-communism, you would uh, get these gifts, but the smaller the gift, the more likely you would actually be turned to believe that communism is good and democracy is bad. And the other thing, some of the other things in the cognitive dissonance that takes place, once you begin to close your eyes to those facts, you're avoiding other information, true information, new information. You're avoiding that. You have to put up kind of like blinders in your own mind. I can't look at that. I don't want to look at that. Or you make a mistake, or you say something uh, stupid or embarrassing. And somebody can take advantage of that, and then to avoid that reality, the truth about that error, that that mistake, you put up this blinder, and somebody can exploit that. That's what hypnosis is all about. They get you to admit something tiny, trivial, and then they get you to admit something more, and then something more, and something more, and they raise the ante. 
And they do it very carefully and very professionally sometimes. And they can, within a few minutes, they can get you barking like a dog. Because you have pretended to be hypnotized. And so, therefore, now you have to do the little silly things. And then you do a little bit more silly things. And then they get you to do absolutely crazy things. And you cannot stop from doing the absolutely crazy things without admitting you weren't really hypnotized the first time. You just gave in. You just accepted the suggestive power of the individual. And, you you know, you would have to say, well, I'm not really hypnotized. I was just doing that. Because that's what they're doing. They're getting you to do some little thing so that they can make you do a greater thing. And, of course, you know, I correlated this, obviously, with mask wearing. And mask wearing isn't making anybody else safer. It's actually endangering everybody. It's not stopping the virus. It might slow it down, but we know that if you slow the spread of the virus unnecessarily, obviously, okay, if you're worried about hospitals being overrun, uh, you might want to slow it down a little bit. But that's not a problem. That hasn't been a problem from the beginning. Although sometimes they try to make it out as a problem. When you actually go to the hospitals, you find out, well, no, they're almost all empty. They're not doing any other elective surgery, so they got all kinds of empty rules. They're laying off nurses. So that has never been a problem. But what that does is prolong the virus in society, which will cause more deaths. And every major epidemiologist that I come across, I mean, the most quoted epidemiologist knew this, and it was true from the beginning, that to slow the progress would cause more deaths. And of course now we can go into all the media things with the media hype and all this stuff to keep perpetuating that hysteria. And you know, from the beginning I thought there was another agenda going on behind the scenes, but I couldn't really find the evidence. Of course now I know people in government, deep in government, actually talk to people in the White House and things like that, and uh and in other state governments. And there definitely is an agenda. And exactly how it's going to unfold, I don't know, but there will be another catastrophe, another emergency, another. But they've already got you wearing masks and social distancing, hiding your hose, destroying your businesses, and weakening society economically, emotionally, and morally. And, of course, your only salvation from the continuation of this process is to repent and seek the kingdom of God. And that's what we were going to show you, is how to do that. So anyway, rather than go over everything that I did this morning for two hours, we're going to go into uh, something else that we've talked about, which is freedom of religion. And I had done a show, and it's now up at uh, preparingyou.com. Look up the words freedom of religion in the search engine. You can find the article. There we have the audios from the last show, and you can listen to them. And I critiqued some of the valiant efforts of uh, Kelly Shackelford, in uh, his first liberty in fighting for uh, the rights of freedom of religion. But he also pointed out some of the shortcomings of his approach. Uh, and I even, you know, he even quoted Alexis Tocqueville. And so I even quoted too to try to show where he was missing some critical elements. But down at the bottom of that page, and I haven't added it yet, there will be a continuation of that article which is the free exercise clause, which is what we're going to talk about today. And uh, I came in an uh, hour early just to try to bring up the to speed the article that I 
have been putting together. And it will correlate back to cognitive dissonance and why that's so important. And why following the actual directives of Christ is essential for maintaining freedom, for returning to freedom, and securing that freedom from all those who would take it away. That if you are not practicing pure religion as defined in the Bible, you will probably not be free. And you will not be able to maintain that freedom in a time of unrest and tyranny because you will be so such a scattered flock that you will not be able to implement the opportunities to remove a tyrant when those opportunities present themselves. You will not have a way of surviving without strangling yourselves or going to the tables with hat in hand of the men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority. Those who spread amongst the people gifts, gratuities, and benefits, which is the greatest destroyers of freedom. And uh, we have plenty on that. And I probably may have already even put some of the... Uh, uh, connections in there to uh, read those articles in this article on the free exercise clause and under freedom of religion. Well, the free exercise clause, of course, is in the Constitution of the United States. And uh, personally, I think the Constitution is wholly inadequate for the biblical standards. And we go over that in our articles on what is the biblical standards for a constitution? There actually is instructions in the Bible that if you want to have a ruler who can exercise authority, a chief executive officer, you know, a commander in chief, that you should put several provisions in your constitution, write them down and read them to him every day. You're actually supposed to have your priest read them to him every day. Now, of course, now when I say priest, if you're not used to listening to us, you probably think priest is some guy down at a church somewhere, you know, burning incense and and blowing smoke out into the audience or throwing holy water around or up there with a little white collar preaching to people uh, about the Bible. No, a priest had a much different function, and uh, you can look that up too. And we explain that, and the reality is today, and this is what we're going to get into a little bit here, if religion is how you take care of the widows and orphans of your society, which is what it tells us, in the Bible, that that's what religion is supposed to be. Now, the the religion of the Pharisees was making the word of God to none effect. And it was bad religion. But it was because it was public religion. And uh, uh, you can, we have articles on that. But the reality is, is Christ's religion was in the kingdom of God. It was private. In compar- it was not of the world. It was not of the constitutional order and system of government of Pontius Pilate. It was not of the uh, constitutional order and system of government of the Pharisees or the Sadducees or most of the Zealots. It was of the constitutional order and system of government of Christ, which is the kingdom of God. And and Christ appointed 70 which Moses appointed 70. Uh, Christ picked 12 apostles and uh, was head of a religious order because that's what the apostles were. They were equivalent to a religious order. And there was at least 10 ministers who each of the apostles served, which is why there was 120 in the upper room. And uh, that was the beginning of the kingdom of God because it was to those men 
that Christ said, I, the little flock, that Christ said, I appoint unto you a kingdom. Now, what was that kingdom supposed to do? It wasn't supposed to exercise authority one over the other. It was to set the captive free. It was return every man to his possessions and every man to his family. That was the mission of the church. To provide a daily ministration based on faith, hope, and charity instead of force, fear, and fealty. It was to provide those benefits of society without exercising authority, but with exercising love through charity. That is the distinction of Christ. Almost all other distinctions that people try to, to make up don't really cut muster. They don't really show the difference between the early church and what the Pharisees were doing. And because what the Pharisees was doing was making the word of God none effect. But what the church was doing was making it to effect, which allowed Christians to not only survive the decline and fall of the Roman Empire, but to thrive during it. Yes, some Christians were persecuted. But Christians, when Rome was gone, when the last centurions began to leave the battlefield, <laughs> the last legions were to gather up and go home, Christians were left. And for hundreds of years, there was a great deal of peace. There was always some disturbance, and of course the disturbances get depressed. But for hundreds of years and hundreds of years, up to 800, 900, uh, even up to 1000 A.D., there was a remarkable amount of Europe that was at peace. There were plagues that came through from time to time. There were occasionally armies that came through from time to time. But in reality, they were often put down by a people that were gathered together in a particular pattern that was the pattern used by Moses and the pattern used by Christ, which is the tens, hundreds, and thousands. And there's a rich history of that. They're not going to tell you in your public school history books too much, but there are lots of books, and we make reference to them in the book, Thy Kingdom Come, which you can read free online. But anyway, get back to the free exercise clause. Let's read it so we can hear what it says. And and then we'll talk about what it actually means. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. That part, prohibiting the free exercise thereof, is in conjunction with make no laws that might prohibit the free exercise thereof. It goes on to say, or abridge the freedom of speech, which of course would also be freedom of speech in the church. The church can talk about anything it wants. It can even talk about politics. And they can't. They can't say, well, you can't talk about politics because you're a church. Now, they can if you have applied for a 1023 recognition letter from the IRS and uh, you filled out that 1023, they may be able to withdraw that uh, determination letter. But, of course, what makes you a church is not the IRS. What makes you the church is compliance with Christ because even the IRS has a definition in the legal dictionary been there for a hundred years or more that the church was established by Christ. It's not established by the IRS. It's not established by the corporation division of a given state. It's not even established by me. It, it It's established by Christ. 
I may conform to Christ and therefore become a part of the church, but I can't establish the church. I can join it. And the church was started 2,000 years ago by a Christ. And so now I have to conform to his doctrines and his ordinances. I can't go out and make up my own doctrines and ordinances. I can't go out and create all kinds of theologies. No, you have to believe this and, you know, tell you how many angels are on the head of the pen or or talk to you about the Trinity. I mean, I could talk to you about the Trinity, but I can't make up rules about it. I can't even make up rules about baptism. I know that John the Baptist only baptized with water, and if the apostles only baptized with water, then the, the baptism didn't mean anything. The important thing is the baptism of the Holy Spirit and with fire that came from Christ. But they did baptize. The Christ never baptized anybody, but the apostles did, and, and the early church did. But what was taking place? And we have a lot of articles on that. What did it mean when you got baptized? By the apostles or by the ministers who were a part of the 120 in the upper room, which they were baptizing thousands of people on Pentecost. What changed when they got baptized? Well, they now went to the temple built without hands, built of living stones. They went to church for their social welfare. They didn't go to the temple of the Pharisees and their Corbin, their treasury, filled with contributions that were forced from the people by statute. They were now taking care of one another through charity. This is absolutely essential for liberty under God. And that's what we're going to eventually get in and show you how that is. So, if religion was how you took care of the needy of society, and it was only pure religion if you were unspotted by the world, and the word world there is constitutional order and system of government, and by that they mean those governments, not the kingdom of God, but those governments that exercise authority one over the other, then Social Security is a religious institution. Welfare is a religious institution. It's public religion, but it's a religious institution. Because that's how you take care of the needy of your society. And those people that implement Social Security, Welfare, Medicare, Medicaid, all these government programs that are taking care of the widows and orphans and needy of your society, those are the priests of your religion. We don't call it religion, we call it government, but they used to call it public religion. And that, of course, is what Rome had. Rome had a public religion. And the conflict between Rome and early Christians was Rome wanted early Christians to join their temple system of public religion. Because if you joined, then you had to sacrifice the Corbin. That's what Corbin meant. You had to sacrifice... And they could compel your sacrifice. 10%, 20% of what you produce. It had to go into the temple and then the temple could provide free bread for the people or free cheese or whatever it was that they were going to give away. Christ had this other system that operated by charity, by love. Rome had a system that operated by force. People like Herod Antipas... He saw the two different systems, but his father, 
had implemented a system through the Pharisees based on force. Once you signed up, you had to pay in. They actually measured off what you produced and you had to pay in that equal amount. Or there were penalties. So, anyway, that was their religion. Christ came with a different religion. The freedom of religion is to go back to the religion of Christ. You know, not go back to a church or... Yeah, I had a conversation with home churchers. There's a group that is against the institutional church. They like to use the word ecclesia. They think they are the ecclesia. Uh, ecclesia meaning called out. They think they are the called out, and so they call themselves the ecclesia, and that their gatherings are ecclesias, because they've come out of the institutional church. And so they're they're against the institutional church. But their actual religious practice is dependent upon the benefactors who exercise authority one over the other. Because they go to the government that redistributes wealth by forcing the contributions of their neighbor so that they can have things like Social Security and welfare and unemployment. And Unemployment's a little bit kind of like an employment insurance, but that's another whole realm too that we can get into that is against the Ten Commandments. It's a violation of the Ten Commandments. Employment as we see in most countries today. Uh, not so much, well, yeah, even the people, but now when I say a violation of the Ten Commandments, the reality is that the people of Israel went into bondage in Egypt because they had thrown their brother into bondage and sold them into bondage and eventually into Egypt. They first sold them to the Ishmaelites, and the Ishmaelites sold them into Egypt. But because they sold their brother into bondage, they themselves, by circumstance, were forced into bondage. And of course, if you sign up for a system that forces the contributions of your neighbor, takes away from your neighbor by force, so that you can have benefits... Are you not selling your neighbor into bondage? I mean, you're joining a system that will force your neighbor to pay for your public school education. I mean, that's the thing is, conservatives are for free education from kindergarten to 12th grade. But they're not for free education for college. Democrats say, no, let's include college too. They actually, the Democrats go all the way. Let's include, after you get out of college, we'll give you a guaranteed wage. And they just go on and on. And conservatives say, no, no, that's too much. <laughs> well, the reality is, to desire free education at the expense of your neighbor is coveting your neighbor's goods. You're, you, you're coveting, coveting what your neighbor produces to pay for what you want in the form of benefits. And what happens is you become accustomed to live at the expense of others and depending for your livelihood on the property of others. And this will change your mind. But of course, repentance is changing your mind back and seeing that this is a mistake. So why is it important to have the free exercise of religion? Now, I believe that it's very possible that when things really get bad, and they haven't really gotten bad yet, they're getting bad, they're getting worse. But when they really get bad, which is inevitable at the 
if everybody keeps going the path they are, maybe they will repent and not go that way. But, uh, of course, you can repent right now and change the way you're going. But if they keep going the way they're going, eventually they will outlaw private religion. But they probably have no need to do that yet because almost nobody is practicing private religion. (laughs) So, first you'd have to start practicing pure religion and then suddenly the pharaoh may say, uh, we're not going to give you any benefits, but you have to keep paying your social security. You're not going to get your social security benefits, but you have to keep paying into it. Now, we actually explain, and if you look up social security at preparingyou.com, we explain that that is the law. Now, they can, they can up the amount you're paying in, and they can decrease the benefits at will. That is completely up to them, and it's not up to you. And you can try to vote them out of office, but you'll have to wear a mask when you go down to the voting poll. (laughs) So, anyway. And you may have to get a vaccination before you go down to the voting poll. And then they get to count the vote. So, anyway, the reality is, is that you've decided to have somebody who could exercise authority to fix everything instead of do it yourself. And Christ came to show you how to do it yourself. Now, what I'm trying to say that in this free exercise clause, and I'm not just reading through the article. You can go read the article yourself. And I haven't put it up there under freedom of religion yet, but I will. I Like I said, I came in a little early to try to go through it all, and I probably should go through it a little bit more before I release it. But one of the things I wrote in there is Americans are protected from the legislature by that free exercise clause. Now, you got to remember, the Constitution was granting rights to the government. It wasn't granting rights to the people. And so the Bill of Rights, unlike the Bill of Rights in England, that is supposedly granting rights to Englishmen, the Bill of Rights in the Constitution, originally anyway, the intent was, is that they were prohibiting the government from infringing upon rights that pre-existed the Constitution. And so... A lot of people think, well, the government is usurping my rights, but in reality is you're giving your rights away when you're, and your parents were giving your rights away when they started applying for benefits. Those gifts, gratuities, and benefits. That's where you, it, it tells you that in the Bible. Through covetous practice, desiring those benefits at the expense of your neighbor, you were going to become merchandise. You were going to become a surety for debt. And, You had to sign something to get those benefits or your parents signed for you when you were not of age. You may not like that reality. And you say, well, what did it give my parents the right to sell me into bondage? That's natural law. (laughs) They get to do that. I mean, that's in Israel, they signed agreement with Pharaoh that 20% of their labor was going to belong to the government, but they were going to get to eat free bread during the famine. And they never did anything about paying the pharaoh back and uh, and leaving. They just kept eating that free bread. And uh, it got worse and worse and worse. And they got weaker and weaker and weaker. And the reality is, is that they were in bondage for 400 years. Because they didn't change their way. Until that bondage became burdensome. And they actually began to cast out their children. Before they were born, they actually began to abort their children because of the tax liability that would incur having more children. Egypt was worried about overpopulation of Israelites. 
They're, they're worried about you overpopulating now. They want to reduce the population. There are people who want to reduce the population of the world down to what is it, 500 million or a billion people, which means 600 billion people, almost 7 billion people, got to go. <laughs> uh, and there's a lot of ways they do it. It's really hard to kill them all. But if you did something to sterilize them all so they can't have children or increase the burden of having children, then you might get a decrease in the surplus population. But anyway, that's another whole story. What we're trying to do is find the keys to the kingdom, the key to liberty. Americans are protected from the legislature, both federal and state, from any prohibition and restraints, not only in what they think, but in what they do in the practice of religion. The practice of religion is how you take care of one another. And if you're practicing the religion of Christ, you're doing it by faith, hope, and charity. If you're practicing the religion of the Pharisees at the time of Pontius Pilate, or practicing the religion of Rome at the time of Augustus, and Saturninus, and Tiberius, and all those guys, then you're going to be forcing your neighbor to contribute to your welfare through taxation, and then you will be entitled to the benefits that Caesar hands out. Christ was offering another system as priest and high king, or high priest and king, he, the highest son of David, so that's high king, the highest son of David, and But Christ did not want to rule over you. He overcame those temptations. He wasn't going to turn you into his bread. He's not going to turn your priests into his bread. He's going to set you free. He's going to return every man to his family and every man to his possessions. But he's going to show you how to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and take care of one another in pure religion, which will eventually break the bonds of bondage. Eventually, it will bring about the breaking of the bonds that have made you captive. It's a it's a spiritual process, and we're not going to go through the whole thing on the radio right now, but that is what Moses was trying to teach the people. That's why God hardened the heart of the Pharaoh and didn't let the people go. They had to learn something before they left. They had to learn how to take care of one another during famines and hard times. And even after they left, they still had to learn more and more of that lesson. And a whole generation had to die off until a new generation came along and they knew nothing but how to take care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. Modern Christians don't know how to do that. They've heard talk of it in their churches. But 90% of the welfare that goes on in their congregation, even in the home churches... 90% of the care of the widows and orphans and needy of their society is not done through free will offerings, but forced offerings of men who exercise authority. They're not following Christ. Now, that that can be good news if you want to repent. Because now you know what you have to repent of. Now you know what you have to think differently about. Now you know what you have to do to actually seek the kingdom of God and the righteousness of God. But unfortunately, many people will continue to suffer from cognitive dissonance and they will deny that fact. 
They will avoid that information. You know, one of the, the, the gifts I guess I have, or curses depending on your point of view, is that I, I enter into conversations on email groups and Facebook and there's people talking and there's 14 posts and 20 posts and 30 posts, sometimes 100 posts. And so I post something and it all stops. All stops. And I thought like, whoa, that's like, that's like magic. <laughs> what happened? Why did it all stop? <laughs> and the the fact is, is they they hit a wall of truth. And they didn't know how to get around it. So they didn't say anymore. They just stopped. And so it's amazing. But anyway, so because that withdrawal of power from the legislature is also withdrawn from all the institutions that exist by the permission of the legislature. Now, because of those, and I just added this out, and you'll see it there when, if you join the network, I'll I'll tell you when all this is up. And along with the audio that we're making today. But there are numerous mandatory exceptions, not exemptions, exceptions in the U.S. codes, in the CFRs. And I list just some of them down at the bottom. They'll be listed down at the bottom of the page and, you know, in uh, United States Codes Section 508 or uh, U.S. Code 6033. And uh, it's also, like I say, in the CFRs. And uh, these are exceptions. These are not exemptions. These are mandatory exceptions, not exemptions. And one of those has to do with churches and uh, interchurches and uh, other, you know, uh, and the integrated auxiliaries and conventions and associations of churches. Now, they say that in general terms, but they also, we know that the definition of the church in Black's Law Dictionary is the church is something established by Christ. Now, they're trying to alter that, that you can have the church of Satan as well. Well, that's that's changing the definition of the words. Uh, it wasn't that way for hundreds of years, but now they're changing that. But, of course, they changed the definition of religion. Religion used to be the pious performance of your duty to God and your fellow man. And so religion was a duty. And actually the performance of that duty, which makes sense with the original Greek word threskia, which means what you do. And, of course, Christ said, not what you say, but what you do. So all that's in conformity. All those fit. Those are the facts that people want to avoid and don't want to see because of their cognitive dissonance. But that is what religion was. It was what you do. is how you take care of the needy of society. And you either do it through faith, hope, and charity or you do it through force, fear, and fealty. If you're signing up for benefits with governments that exercise authority, you're going under fealty. You will owe that government. And if that government is owned by bankers, then you owe the bankers. And if those bankers are owned by Satan, then you owe Satan. <laughs> and so coming out of the system does not remove the debt. You want to remove the debt. Some people say, well, I'm going to take over the debt. I'm going to be in charge of the debt. Well, you still owe Satan. You know, and that's that's the way it goes. Now, Satan is a... Is 
manifested in many peoples. Satan, the word Satan just means the adversary. And the adversary of the way of faith, hope, and charity is the way of force, fear, and fealty. And if you covet your neighbor's goods, you're instituting that system of force, fear, and fealty. If you stop coveting your neighbor's goods and actually start loving your neighbor as yourself with the intent of taking care of your neighbor in time of need, genuine need, not because he's lazy, but because, you know, something happened and he needs help. And you're going to help him in a way that strengthens him. If he gets his legs run over by a train and he loses his legs and he can't walk anymore, so he can't be a carpenter anymore. Well, he can do something else. So you're gonna, you're not gonna just say, oh, I'm gonna give you a check forever. No, we're gonna help you learn to walk again, and we're gonna help you learn to do a job where you can be a value to society, because when you're a value to a society, you will be a value to yourself. And when you're a value to yourself, you won't be plagued by depression, and, uh, anxiety, and all these things that causes people to commit suicide, and take drugs, etc. You will be too busy being a blessing to everybody else to fall prey to self-pity. So this is this is just basic human nature. But if you go into the system of the world, they will make you dependent. They want you dependent. They want you dependent upon them because that gives them power. Of course, they're not going to actually give you anything that they haven't already taken away from somebody else. This is what, and of course, here comes that cognitive dissonance again. People are going to, well, wait a minute. Yeah, I'm taking the benefits of government, but I paid in. That's a rationalization. But you paid in, you were paying off the debt of other people. Social Security, I said it this morning, say it in articles, we show you in articles, has never, ever, ever, ever been solvent. It has never been operating in the black. It has always been operating in the red. It is a cognitive dissonance to think that Social Security was once solvent and is now bankrupt because they're stealing money from the trust fund. That is not the facts. The fact is, from the beginning, the rule by the Supreme Court, from the beginning, written into the actual um, laws of Social Security, by the guy who designed Social Security. That the funds in there is not divided from the debt of the United States. In other words, if the United States is in debt, Social Security is in debt. The funds in Social Security have, from the beginning are available to the government to pay off other pre-existing debt. And it wasn't even started until the government was already in debt. What you did by signing up is you made yourself a surety for the debt of the United States. And that debt has grown and grown and grown because you have developed an appetite for benefits and the habit of receiving them by the rule of force and violence on your neighbor. Which you have a right to do because your neighbor agreed to the same thing. Now, you don't necessarily have the right to invade some foreign country and take their money. 
But all the people that are in your system, yeah, you have the right to force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare because he has agreed to force you to contribute to his welfare. And so that's why you're back in the bondage of Egypt. That's where you're at. You're all back in the bondage of Egypt again. So in this page on the free exercise clause, I'm pointing out that businesses... Now, if you organize your church the way Christ said to organize your church, and we explain that in the Free Church Report and a lot of other places, the Free Church Report is the most complete uh, book that we have available, and it's free online. We're not... We're not trying to get your money. We're trying to get you to hear Christ and follow His ways by thinking differently, and which is repentance, and then seeking the kingdom of God, the government of God. That's what kingdom of God means. The dominion of God by seeking the righteousness of God in the way in which you either love your neighbor or covet his goods. You either have compassion and mercy for your neighbor or you should not expect compassion and mercy for yourself. Like I said, God said that if you if you end up wanting men to exercise authority to be your chief executive officer, your commander-in-chief, etc., you're going to end up with a government that takes and takes and takes and takes and takes and takes. And when you cry out, God's not going to hear you. Now, if you want God to hear you, you have to turn around and gather in the tens, hundreds, and thousands to become the religion of righteousness, the pure religion of Christ in the early church, taking care of one another. And you have the right to do that in the free exercise of religion. They have not taken that away yet. I suspect that they eventually will. But when they do... There's another factor that comes in. But I'm not going to tell you what it is. I'm going to leave that a secret. But it it is, you will not ever be free without the miracle of God. And how that miracle of God will come about is that you repent. Just like the Israelites. They repented. They, They weren't taking benefits anymore. No leeks and onions, no straw. They were taking care of one another. They were filling each other's water vases, uh, vessels uh, during the uh, uh, plagues. Uh, They were taking care of one another. Early church, same thing. They were cast out of the welfare system of the Pharisees and they had to take care of each other through pure religion, through faith, hope, and charity. And they were the institutional church. They organized themselves. They sat down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands of Pentecost, the same as they did with the loaves and fishes, and they organized themselves in free assemblies where they contributed to the welfare of their society through charity. Now, what happens when you do that? And I wanted to get this in. And I've talked about it a little bit, touched on it a little bit this morning in our talk about cognitive dissonance in the second half of the program. But it requires that you sacrifice. You choose to sacrifice. Now, you do the same thing when you take care of your kids. I mean, you get married, you have children, you have to get up in the middle of the night, feed that baby. You have to get up in the middle of the night when they're sick. Uh, You have to, you know... 
run down and help them whenever they have a problem. You're, if you homeschool, you have to take, you know, you can't just go in and watch the football game or something like that. You have to attend to your kids' school lessons, grading papers, and that, it's, it's way easier than it was when I started it, you know, 40 some years ago, because uh, there were, now there are so many help aids. That, and so many clubs of homeschoolers that can help you and give you all kinds of tips. But it's your responsibility to figure out how to do it. And of course, in the congregations at His Holy Church, sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, there are many people that have all kinds of ideas and all kinds of experience and, and have, you know, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. There's a lot of people can help you. But the point is, to raise that child requires sacrifice. It's built into the system. It's built into nature. You know, that you have to risk your time, your energy. You invest in this child who maybe someday he will take care of you in your old age. Maybe he won't. You have, that's why they call it hope. You know, that you, you take care of that child. You love that child and all those children to take care of them, to raise them up to be good sons and daughters respecting one another and and hopefully choosing wives and and husbands with wisdom uh, that you supposedly picked up over the years. (laughs) Maybe you picked up some wisdom. Maybe you left some laying around somewhere and you need to go back and get it. But the fact is, is you're raising those adults and it requires sacrifice on your part. And one of the big things it requires is a sacrifice of your own pride and ego. Because you're going to have to admit, as sooner or later, you're going to have to admit you made a mistake. That you were unfair to your wife or to your children or to your girlfriend or to your boyfriend. And you're going to have to apologize. You're going to have to say, I'm sorry. I was weak. I did something wrong. I lost my temper. I was selfish. Whatever it is. That's good. Because that will eventually make you immune to cognitive dissonance. Now, that's just with your family. Now, when you sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, you got ten families in a congregation. A hundred is a hundred families. And a thousand is a thousand families. And at the loaves and fishes, there were five thousand families. With the uh, Pentecost, there were three thousand one day and two thousand the next. Those are families. That's the way they figured it in those days. They're counting, they're counting families. And so, they were all cast out of the welfare system that was run through the synagogues and the temple. And now, they were going to have to take care of one another with pure religion. Unspotted by the world of Pontius Pilate. Unspotted by the world of Herod Antipas or Philip. But according to the the world of Christ, the kingdom of God. They were going to have to do it by faith, hope, and charity. They could not use, they could not be like those benefactors who exercised authority one over the other. They could not be like the fathers of the earth, which was Patronus and Patri. All the senators were called Patri, uh, which means father. And all the uh, uh, emperors were called Patronus, our father. Our father who art in Rome. Hallowed be thy name. We're going to ask you for our daily bread. Give us the free bread of Rome. No. Jesus said, call no man father. 
if you, how do we pray then? Who do we apply to? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come when thy will be done. What's his will? That you love one another. That word meaning love mean, includes charity. Take care of one another. Not just your family, but your neighbors. And not just your immediate neighbors who can love you back, but the neighbors on the other side of the country, the neighbors in Syria. We see that right away, right out of the box. Paul is taking up a collection and headed for Syria or headed for Corinth or headed for Ephesus or headed for Galatia or going from Galatia to Corinth and bringing funds to Corinth. Corinth was way wealthier than Galatia. But Galatia is sending funds to Corinth. Why? Because they're having a hard time because Corinth was going from the system of social welfare that was operated by force to a system of welfare that was operated by faith, hope, and charity. Not all of Corinth. Paul talked to the treasurer of Corinth about this. It's not clear whether or not he went that way. But it's clear that many people in Corinth opted out of the social welfare system that operated by force run through the temples of Rome and opted in to the system of social welfare that was provided by the early church, which was a temple built without hands. It was a temple built of living stones. It was a network of tens, hundreds, and thousands. Now, the details of how the church organizes is eventually important, but we're not going to be able to get into it here. But the reality is, is that no business, no institution, uh, no service that operates by the permission of the legislature can restrict, deprive, or restrain the church in the practice of religion, of taking care of one another. Now, what that looks like, I'm not going to share with you on the radio program. If you have a good imagination, if you really understand what I'm talking about, you can start putting that together and understanding what that means. But the reality is, what was happening when 5,000 men and their families joined the church through baptism? Now, there were already many that were baptized. Just on Pentecost, there was an additional 5,000, which is 20,000, 40,000, 50,000 people by that time in Jerusalem and, and immediately in Judea that were Christians. They didn't have to pay into the temple anymore. They just paid to the church. And the church was already instructed through the parables of Christ that when you say it's time to pay in so that we can take care of the needy and provide, rightly divide the bread from house to house, they just go to you and say, how much can you pay? They can't force you to pay 20%. Maybe you can only pay 5%. Maybe you can only pay 1%. Maybe you can only pay a penny. We have to market paid in full. Now, You don't get any entitlements in the kingdom of God. (laughs) The redistribution of wealth is by charity. And if you give that power to your ministers to divide that by charity, he gets to make the decision. It's a burnt offering to you. It's now his decision. Now, the beautiful thing is, and this is where the power is back in the hands of the heads of every family. If you don't think he's doing a good job, tomorrow you don't have to give to him. 
you can give to a different guy who you think will do a better job because every day is an election day in the kingdom of God. Every day you get to choose who you're going to help or who you're going to use to help other people. That's the institutional church. Now, if you think you can you can take care of an, a society of hundreds of thousands of people spread all over uh, the Roman world, all over the world today, just because you help people out when you find an old lady having a flat tire on the side of the road, well, expect to be waiting on the side of the road yourself when you have trouble. We had a guy who got food poisoning when he was traveling through Nevada. Didn't know anybody in Nevada. There's hardly anybody in Nevada. He called us up and said that he had food poisoning. He couldn't even get up out of bed. He was, wasn't sure if he was going to make it through the night. We got a hold of somebody in Nevada who drove all the way over and picked him up, took him to their house and nursed him back to health. Uh, it was a godsend because they were loosely in our network at the time. And we knew them and we were able to contact them and get somebody. We had somebody else broke down in, I think, one state. And we let some people know. And somebody got in the car and drove hundreds of miles and picked the guy up and saved him and eventually got, you know, got him. So he got his car, new car and all this kind of stuff. People helping people. But if you're not networked, if you're not already volunteering to help, then I don't know who's going to help you. This sets into motion the power of God. It opens the door to the Holy Spirit. But you have to seek, knock and seek, so that you may find. And until then, all I can say is peace on your house and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.